Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. This week we watched number 68 on AFI's Top 100 list, 1992's The Unforgiven. Unforgiven. So Ethan, this is a Clint Eastwood film. It is a Clint Eastwood film in all way, all, every which way of the term. Stars, directs, produces, I guess he didn't write it, maybe. No, he didn't write it. So Ethan, you sound a little down. What's wrong? Uh, I, you know, it's a Clint Eastwood film. You don't like uh, your shoot 'em up westerns? I love a good shoot 'em up western. I would say this is not my favorite Clint Eastwood film. Mm. Well, before we get into that, why don't you get us a plot synopsis? Yes, I will. Unforgiven is the story of William Money, who in his youth was a particularly violent criminal and assassin. However, late in his life, he marries and gives up his old, hard drinking, shooting ways. His wife dies of an illness, leaving him with two small children on his farm. In Big Whiskey, Wyoming, two cowboys visiting a brothel get in a fight and one severely harms the woman he's with, slashing her face. The town's sheriff, Little Bill, allows them to avoid punishment by giving the brothel owner horses. The women who work there do not see this as justice and put out a $1,000 bounty on the men. William Money is visited by a young braggart would-be assassin who tries to recruit him to help collect the bounty. Money refuses, but later has a change of heart and recruits his friend Ned to help. The three head to Big Whiskey. While they make their way, a notable assassin named English Bob travels to the town with his biographer. When he refuses to give up his weapons, Little Bill savagely beats him and locks him up. English Bob's biographer abandons him to stay with Bill, and Bob is ejected from town. Ned, the Scoville kid, and Money arrive in town, though Money has a bad fever. The other two retire upstairs at the brothel, and Bill confronts Money, beating him and taking his gun. The three escape out of town and hole up in a shack. After Money has been rehabilitated, the three men kill one of the cowboys. Ned refuses to finish the job and heads home. Money and the kid kill the other cowboy, and the kid reveals that he's never actually killed anyone before and never wishes to again, taking the money home to Money's children and Ned's wife. The money to money to money to money. The men learn that Ned has been captured, tortured, and killed by Bill and his men, and Money decides to take revenge. He confronts Bill and kills him and all of his men except for the biographer. He threatens to return to the town if any of the sex workers are harmed or if Ned is is not properly buried. He leaves, and the epilogue suggests that he went to San Francisco with his children and became a merchant in dry goods. So this is a two-hour-plus film. Yeah. I feel like almost nothing happens in the first hour. <laughs> but one thing I do want to point out in your plot synopsis is that you called the kid the Scoville kid. What is he? Is that because he's just so hot? Is that your understanding of it? Oh, like Scoville. Fuck. What is, what's his real name? He's the Schofield kid. Schofield, Schofield kid. Gun. I'm, I'm thinking Scoville units. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I just really like spicy food. I guess. And spicy boys. Because <laughs> he's very spicy. He's just one of those teens that's just so aggressive and angsty. He is actually, that's actually not a bad name for him because he is angsty and kind of spicy and blind, basically. Ethan, why don't we just jump on down to it? I didn't like this film. No? I didn't think it was very good. I understood some of the things it was trying to do, but I don't know if it was successful on any of those fronts. Yeah. 
and I'm sure I'm missing something. It's so high on the list, right? We've already seen so many good films. I don't know what it's doing up here on 68, but I do have a piddle scene for us. Maybe yeah. we could talk about it. What is it, Matt? Tell me. This is the death of Davy Boy. This mm. is the first of the cowboys that Money and the kid and Ned shoot and kill, where Ned loses heart and hands the gun to Money, and Money pretty much is unaffected. Not a good shot at that distance, not like Ned is, but he still kills him. And there's this whole awkward scene of Davy slowly bleeding out and he's calling for water. And so his guys go get him water. And it's just, it's awkward in the direction itself, but it's awkward in how it should be awkward. The uncomfortability, I think, of taking a man's life. Yeah. So why don't we just go ahead and listen to this? Get over there, Davy! <laughs> what happened? He ain't killed? What, what's going on? He gets in those rocks, we ain't gonna get him. Unless we go down there. What rocks? Why don't you shoot? What's going on, man? Well, ain't you gonna shoot? Well... Well... I ain't very good with one of these. How many more shots do I have? Ned, goddammit, how many more shots do I have? Two. Two. Bastard! Go, Davey! Did you get him? You missed him. I got him. They shot me, boys. He ain't killed. They shot me. Maybe, maybe not. Got him through the gut, I think. You think he's gonna die? You think we killed him? kind of is what you hear right that mm -hmm. they're standing there shooting ned has lost heart kid is useless because he can't see at that distance and money is just what matter of fact blase yeah un unconcerned about this operation of death yeah which is really strange to me because at the beginning of the film when he's visited by the kid to say hey come up and kill these guys get you a bunch of money because the kid needs him because he's never killed anybody before which he's not said at this point it is Clint Eastwood saying sort of exposition, exposition, your dear <laughs> departed mother, all this stuff. These sick hogs and this dang horse are my basically comeuppance for all my sins of youth. So why then does he go on out to do what he's doing? It just doesn't, 
It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, the, I mean, this I think is one of the problems with this film. His motivation is is unclear. I guess it's because the hogs are sick. I don't really know why he but does he what he sees does. That as his, if he sees that as his punishment, then why does he rail against it by doing the same thing that caused him that punishment in his Right, career? and and to get him out of it. I mean, I guess the money is a way for him to not have to take care of the farm. I Yeah, it... Well, what's more, he leaves two like ten-year-old kids for two weeks. Oh my god, I know. We, I was watching it with Olivia, and Olivia's like, "What? How long is he gonna leave those kids there?" Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it just is—it's strange why he goes and does this. It doesn't make sense. It just feels like he gestures to what is going to get the plot in motion, and I actually have this criticism of, of really a lot of the scenes in the film is that things happen to push this arbitrary f- plot forward rather than tension or conflict pushing the plot forward does that make sense yeah there's uh, yeah it absolutely makes sense it's like we want to hit this mark and so these things have to happen and so william money has to go on the trail to get into these these fights and so we have to make him leave and they really just kind of settle on well i guess he leaves as opposed to really anything from his character motivating that departure. Yeah, yeah. Because it would make sense if he left and he spends this, there's a whole hullabaloo, the whole film about how he won't drink whiskey, he's been reformed of drinking, blah, blah, blah. But that it doesn't make any sense. It would make more sense if he would, like went out to have one last hurrah and mm-hmm. like drank some whiskey and like spent a night at the brothel and then this was his very last, he's done sort of thing, like his one last job to get out of it. But the, his motivation is so conflicted, and we don't really learn a whole lot about him other than that he was pretty he was pretty merciless back in the day. But, like, we don't really know anything about and, – and he married a – and he has a wife that is dead that he loved right. that reformed him. But, like, he's, he's such a paper-thin character, and most of the characters in this film are pretty paper-thin – and yeah, it just is kind of like what. So he gets sick for no reason in the film at a point, right? Just so he can get beat up, I guess. Well, I kind of assumed that maybe he got sick because the hogs were sick. Like I thought there was going to be some sort of thing about like the hogs keep getting sick, so he's going to get sick. He's going to do it all, and his kids will have died of the fever. But it was, but it ended up just being a reason for him to get the shit kicked out of him, like you said. Yeah. So Ethan, why don't we? I don't know, move on to themes, see what you have for us, and talk a little bit about this before we move on to our three questions, which is where I really want to sink my teeth because I ooh, I think I have some things to say. I just don't know if they're good ones. You know, there are a lot of themes in this film, but I really think that one of the most important ones, and the one that I think that Clint Eastwood is really trying to get to in this film is, like, endings. Like, this is all about the end of things, like the tail, like both, you know, like coming to an ending, the actual moment of things being done, right? It's all old men that are in this film. You know, they're they're all sort of at the end of their careers, uh, or they've given up their careers and then inexplicably picked them back up again. Which is kind of funny because the actors themselves, Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman, and Gene Hackman, are by no means done with their careers by 1992. No, not at all. And I think that this, I think that, you know, this theme of endings really is, this is the last Western that Clint Eastwood made. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think this is maybe, I think what he's trying to do is, is say goodbye to the Western genre. 
in a very heavy-handed sort of way that that comes out through like you know you got to drag him out of retirement he doesn't like doing it there's no, even the kid who's here that's you know our our ostensible beginning right he wants to become a a big assassin do, does a shitty job and realizes he can't do it and doesn't want to do it it's all about like these things that end when they're supposed to or or too early the sex worker with her face cut up her career has ended too early which i guess would be a good thing right because you shouldn't have to be a sex worker i mean i yeah but she's also got no she's got no way to make money anymore well no one has any way to make money because they killed the owner money did and now what are they supposed to do all their life savings have gone to him because he killed the cowboys for them true i mean yeah and that's like i think that that this film has there there is a theme of like I guess it's women's empowerment because, you know, they're doing this all to because, you know, this woman was poorly treated. But the the women in this film are barely characters. They're just there to push the men to go do things. Yeah, I would definitely not say this is women empowerment because they still rely on this man to solve the problems for them. Right. And there's that very uncomfortable scene where she's like, oh, if you'd like a free one, and this is the whore who has her face cut up, and he says no, and she's like, oh, I didn't mean that, and he's like, oh, well, if I were to get one, I would get it from you, and that's supposed to be a touching moment. It came across not at all. Like, I would would have sex with you if I thought that was something I should do. It's like, oh, wow, way to throw her a bone, right? Pardon the phrase, I guess, Uh but the fact that He's supposed to be doing some kind of favor to her to say she's still pretty. It's like, wow, that's oof, that's really bad. Yeah, and I think there's a way in which you can write this story that is all about like freeing the women from the you know tyrannical brothel owner and like you know allowing them to sort of come into their own. But it totally just misses the mark, and it it's all just an, a sort of setup to get Clint Eastwood in a room with gene hackman and have a shootout yeah and that's i think kind of answering the thing i criticized earlier about scenes just happen yeah so that we can say we need to hit this mark in the plot as opposed to plot developing from tension and conflict between characters so i mean i have a thesis for this film ethan would you like to hear it yeah give it to me lay it on me so i guess the old obvious sort of tropic thing i could say about this is an old dog can't learn new tricks right by the end of the film money is back to drinking murdering and being that crazy guy right if anyone shoots me i'll kill them kill his wife kill his kids burn his house down it's like wow you really kind of done a whole 180 here about your reluctant killer and now you're just kind of reveling in it it seems. right and then on top of that i just clearly some people aren't made for killing we see so many times that mm-hmm. people try to kill and can't do it this is something that little bill points out something that money points out something that ned shows us something that the schofield kid shows us so it's repeated again and again and again and at the end of the film there's a guy that could kill edward money and he doesn't or william money is it edward money or william money william money okay yeah and i mean that ends up just being one long drawn out impotence metaphor sure so it seems like this money character is just the unfeeling harbinger of chaos that falls upon all men as fallen creatures and last thing he says to gene hackman's character before he shoots him in the face is deserves got nothing to do with it and so he says i'm just 
just doing these things, right? Mm-hmm. Which is little Bill does deserve that, right? He's not a good character. He's no. the sheriff, but he's not good at all, and he's really fed up with him, or he's self-aggrandizing in yeah. a way that he's criticizing Bob for. It's just I don't know what's trying to be said in a concrete fashion. Yeah, I mean, I I tried to sort of put a thesis statement together, and I I mean, I guess that this film on one hand really tries to suggest that violence and vice and all these sort of things are not what they're cracked up to be they take a toll on on people right uh but the ending undercuts this by saying that you know the ability to give into these things never really goes away and and he still right like it's it's it proselytizes so much in this film about like violence isn't the answer vice isn't the answer but then everybody just gives into those things anyway and then he survives at the end. The ending crawl says that he goes with his kids to San Francisco and they're successful. Right. And so it just seems to me to be like, a, it's just self-indulgent in, in so many ways. It's just a self-indulging film for Clint Eastwood. And don't get me wrong. I like a lot of what Clint Eastwood has done. Me too. This, this And I like Westerns. I'm a big fan of Westerns. Um, this film, from a critical viewing, is just not... I'm surprised how high up on the on the list it is at this point. Especially when you have something like The Wild Bunch, who has a very stated intention, yeah. where Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I think, does a lot of the same themes, but better. And they're both beneath this film on the list. It just doesn't make sense to me why this is raised so high, yes. when I think it muddles a lot of its themes and doesn't really finish anything out that it starts. Yeah, I, I agree. I think both of the Westerns we've seen before this are significantly better. And do what this film was trying to do better. Yeah, so I uh, I can't make sense of it. Ethan, do you want to try to turn to our three questions and see what we can handle there? Yeah, let's knock it out. All right. Do we care about this film? It's hard to answer yes for this one. It's hard to answer yes for this one. I guess the question I would ask is, what could we try to say? Like, How do you even approach that question for this film? What could we care about it? What could someone else care about? Because I'm willing to believe that I'm just missing something. So what am I missing? I think we care about it because it's Clint Eastwood's last Western. <laughs> I think it's, you know. So it's a landmark, but yeah, at I the think... same time, it's not a good one. No. I, I think it's it's a self-indulgent sort of uh, salvo. Is that Am I using that right? Like a self-indulgent salvo to his, or swan song to his career as a as a a person who's in and directs westerns it's so clint eastwood yeah i don't know (laughs) what do we care about this film for it is a fairly recent western in the form of how westerns come out i think only thing i can think of in recent history is what was it the remake of the um true grit that one that one was pretty good true grit was good the Seven Samurai remake. What is that called? Oh. Magnificent Seven. Yeah. They did that again. So we still have a lot of Westerns. So I don't really see the end of the Western. 310 to Yuma is actually a good movie, I'm pretty sure. And this is like right after Dances with Wolves, which I think is a lot better. Is Dances with Wolves on the list? I think it might be. I'd have to check that again at some point. But it does sound like, I think I've come across that title somewhere. Yeah, Dances with Wolves is like right around, I think Dances with Wolves was just a little before this film. Or either, or a little after. I'm just, I'm really disappointed in this film. And I don't, and I know we bring up a lot of personal biases to our viewings. You sit down, you can be in a different mood, you feel a certain way about it. Sure. But I think I was giving a pretty fair shake to this, 
this film, I was taking notes about equity and justice and dispensing of justice, but everything that I was building up and sort of building evidence for this argument of justice or equity or how what's fair and what isn't, you know, punishment, death, beating, money, capital, all this plays into it, but all that's completely undercut and dispensed with by the end of the film, and I can't say anything substantive about it. So I'm just really confused as to what the point was. Yeah, and I'll say this. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad or uninteresting film by any means, but is it one that's worth sort of lauding as the one of the greats in its genre? I don't think so. It feels in a lot of ways like a sequel to a film that was never made. So let me say this. Do I care about this film? No. I was listening for what it had to say, but I didn't hear anything. Yeah. So Ethan, what do we owe to this film? What do we owe to this film? I don't know. It's It already is fairly derivative. I think, you know, a lot of what we could say we owe to this film, we could say exactly what we owe to Wild Bunch or Sundance Kid. Which makes this question hard to answer, right? Because it sounds like Wild Bunch is doing something more successfully. Butch casting Sundance Kid, one last job. We're aging out of this this career field. Right. This tries to capture that as well. And honestly, I feel like this movie really plays on the fact that you know the actor Clint Eastwood as a young man in cowboy films, right? Or Western films. Mm-hmm. And as an old man, he carries with him the weight of that storied past. And it's nostalgic, and so I think it actually owes a lot more to what came before it than yeah, it anything does. that we owe to it now. It does. I mean, it again, it is sort of a, 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 a punctuation point, you know, like an exclamation point or a period on Clint Eastwood's career. So it, it owes itself to everything Clint Eastwood has done before this, but does it leave a lot of stuff to take forward into the world? It's sort of like the... It's like a star-studded poor man's Sundance kid. <laughs> Which is already star-studded as well. Right. Maybe not in the same way. Right. So I will say this, though. That line, deserves, got nothing to do with it. I've heard that before. So there's at least that carried forward today. Yeah. But how, how important is that? I, I really couldn't say. And you know what? I'm not necessarily willing to accept wholeheartedly that that line isn't already derivative in this film. Sure, yeah. I mean, we just, there's there's so much we don't know. People could fill books with what we don't know, Ethan. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say about us turning to this here final question? Do it. Does this movie hold up? In short, not not really. Mainly because of two things, I would argue. One, the way it deals with the women in this film, that is, it's kind of unacceptable. Mm-hmm. in you know a, a film of this supposed caliber um and to the way it deals with race i think that it uh, you morgan freeman's character might as well be any random white character it ignores absolutely i mean this is 1881 i believe it's set in there it just <sighs> It, it there's no discussion there's no treatment of race and you i'm guarantee you that in 1881 a, a black man riding up into this thing you know it just wouldn't it just would not be treated it's that's just, actually a really interesting point you're making because when ned which is morgan freeman character when he goes up to the brothel effectively everyone starts looking at him and i just assumed it was going to be a race thing because they would not let a black man have sex with white women in that establishment in that time. 
and no one cares. Yeah, I'm highly skeptical of that. Like it again. I think it just. I think what it does is it ignores history and makes it some sort of. Uh, it, it turns history into some sort of happy-go-lucky world where everybody was equal. In the years after the Civil War, um, approaching the turn of the century, it was not like that. Right, and this is not us, us saying that we'd like to see representations of no black people being hurt and harmed or maligned in any way. This is us saying it seems like the direction of this film is ignoring our sordid history as a yeah. country, and that's not okay. Yeah, I think it, and and in the one, you know, the one sort of nod towards that we get is the weird whipping of Morgan Freeman's character, and I just right. don't, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. I think that it, it like, it ignores history and it vaguely gestures in in pseudo racist ways towards. And of course, Morgan Freeman's character is married to the silent Native American wife. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't say a word. I, I don't like it. It just makes me uncomfortable. And so I think that, especially when we sit in a cultural moment where you've got Tarantino making westerns that absolutely are focused on race, like Hateful Eight and Django, it just seems it feel this feels like like a like a like a novel, like a feel good dime store novel. Sure. Yeah, I think that's actually an apt comparison, which is weird because I've been on this podcast before saying the the films that tend to do well on this list are the ones that are good novel adaptations mm-hmm. the ones that really pay attention to story and this one kind of flies in the face of that theory and i i'm a little flabbergasted so to answer the question for me i don't think this movie holds up very well no and what's more on top of the story aspects i think it does a bad job in a lot of these scenes they're awkward and stilted in a way that i don't think they're trying to be i mentioned this a little bit with the pivotal scene as well Mm -hmm. i think everyone in this film is really not quite committed to it in the same way that maybe eastwood is and it comes off as just weird just a little weird to me yeah again i think it feels in a lot of ways too like a sequel to a movie that isn't made right which it it kind of is right if you think of clint eastwood's previous western characters so the western for eastwood ends on a whimper instead of a bang yeah absolutely does that's a shame i do enjoy a lot of his films i thought gran torino was pretty good despite a few problematic things i guess and i'm always down for some old-fashioned spaghetti westerns but we'll just have to move on with our lives we will unfortunately and we'll move on to next time, the 1966 Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. This will be exciting. But we're not there yet. That's going to be two weeks from now. In the meantime, however, I want to point people to our Patreon for our super secret bonus content edition episodes. The episodes this month have been our double down editions of season two of Stranger Things. We've also got a spooktacular of The Shining up. And then Ethan and I have just switched roles again, and now it's my job to pick current films that are coming out, and Ethan's job to pick films that he's really enjoyed in the past. So a lot is going on, and you should really take a look. Join us. Join us. But until then, I've been Matt Mazzell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. If you give me any fucking spoilers, I am going to shoot you, shoot your family, burn down your house, and burn down this town. 
There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month, also at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Our email continues to be spoilerscast at gmail.com, so send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much I swear if you existed i'd divorce you so anyway i married the sop i had it all planned out first he'd take over the history department then when daddy retired he'd take over the whole college you know that was the way it was supposed to be. Getting angry, baby, huh? You can sit around with a gin running out of your mouth. You can humiliate me. You can tear me to pieces all night. That's perfectly okay. That's all right. You can stand it. I cannot stand it. You can stand it. You married me for it.